I think we're, we are a platform co-op because we're building a piece of digital technology that is co-owned by our users. That is my definition of a platform co-op and it's, it's just a it's a very straightforward one. That was Emma Back, the founder of Equal Care Co-op, a platform cooperative that, as she explained to us, was set up in response to the existing way in which care work was working in the UK. In that it was hurting the people it was supposed to serve, and the people working on the front line as care providers. Welcome everyone to the third episode of this podcast series, The Platform Predicament, Making Sense of a Datafied Future of Work. This podcast is brought to you by IT for Change and supported by Friedrich Ebert Stifting. In this episode, we attempt to break down the answer to the question, can platforms be non-exploitative? Can they work in a manner that puts the power back into the hands of the workers? in a manner that empowers them? What data concerns emerge in attempting to do something like this? And what external support is needed to make it happen? We spoke to Emma Back, founder of a care work cooperative in the UK called Equal Care, to Saloni Hiryadur, senior coordinator at Seva Federation, which is one of the oldest and largest cooperative federations in the country, and Jara Jakshi, head of the product and consulting division at LabourNet, a social enterprise working to empower gig and platform workers. Ever since the platform-based economy, often known as the sharing economy, has gained prominence, the so-called ills of this form of work have also come to light. As we understand now, after having listened to the previous episodes, these platforms do not exist in some isolated cyberspace but are ultimately a reflection of the same capitalistic business model and labor practices, only adapted for digital work. Hence, uh, the concept of platform cooperatism is one of the things that came up as a response to this. Fundamentally, this concept speaks about democratic ownership and decision-making in platform-based work, and adoption of some basic ethics of labor and business. Trevor Scholes, one of the prominent scholars on platform cooperatism, cautions that if the increasingly concentrated ownership that is resulting from the expansion of commercial platforms is not countered now, we may end up sharing only scraps in the sharing economy. Recently, we have been seeing some disturbing news coming in from big tech platforms. One of the more explosive pieces this year being the Uber files, which essentially were a set of emails and internal documents leaked proving that Uber management deliberately went ahead, ignored the law in several countries, simply to be able to set up shop and capture the market. Amazon has also faced flack for hideous working conditions in its warehouses, with workers claiming that bathroom breaks are rare and they have often been forced to work through sickness and even accidents in the warehouse. These examples are only two of many and they are important to bring up to make the point that big tech platforms are being questioned not simply because they are big tech, but because they are propagating and deliberately benefiting from unethical and illegal practices of business and labor. And this is a dangerous precedent to set in the labor economy. In light of this, questioning the existing model of platform-based work becomes that much more important and relevant. This collective ownership over the platform and its governance can take many forms. It can be a cooperative, a producer-owned platform, a city-owned platform, or even a platform backed by a trade union. 
Platform cooperatives, also sometimes called platform commons, something we heard Emma talk about in the beginning, is a model that has the potential to make platform work equitable and just for the workers. As it is rooted in the concept of ownership, or co-ownership in fact, by the workers themselves. We asked Emma what led to her founding her own platform cooperative. Um, so initially, when I was thinking of um, what has eventually become the idea for Equal Care, I was looking at it very much from a technology will save us perspective, which uh, is quite a bear trap, actually. And I, at the time, that was the beginning of the rise of a kind of the there was the sharing economy narrative that was going on, which was um, very utopian, very idealist, very um, very left wing. And then at the same time, there was also the rise of these, these massive, very well-funded platforms coming out of Silicon Valley um, that were uh, actually to quite a large ex extent um, disintermediating the relationship between the consumer and the provider. Uh, obviously, they were mediators themselves, but they were taking out a lot of um, the middlemen that usually exist in organizations to, um, uh, to enable those kinds of transactions. So I was really interested in that because for me, working in mental health at the time, I saw it as a way to help choice um, for the people who were receiving that support and for the people who were giving that support on the other end. So there was this real scope there for instead of a manager starting to make the decisions for you um, and instead of being assigned a support worker, you could actually choose who you, the person that you thought would be the best place to help you. And there was even scope for that person to say yes or no to, to that suggestion. Uh, so I was, yeah, looking at it from that direction. And then, but then the more that we explored it, the more that we delved into it. So um, we held sort of a series of workshops starting from 2017 onwards. This has been, it's been a slow growth, slow burn. And as the conversation progressed, it became clearer and clearer that uh, uh, technology will not save us. <laughs> and that what we were trying to do here was change the relationships that exist within organizations the relationships that exist that organizations have with their customers. So Emma, usually when one says platform, the layperson imagines or visualizes an app. So in that context, could you tell us about the digitalization or app aspect of equal care at the moment? So at the moment, we did a, a low-code, no-code version of it. So using just a collection of apps to work out, all right, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and so far, we've built out teams so people can go onto the platform, they can find people to join their team, they can create their team, uh, professional care and support workers can go onto the platform, find new teams to join. Um, so there is that that matching aspect um, is in there at its literally at its most basic um, and then profiles uh, as well. And then a chat, um, a place for, for team chats to um, to happen. Uh, next on next on the list is allowing bookings and payments to go through the platform, and then after that, that's basic. That's the core pieces of kit that we need to then that will allow us to scale properly. Um, and there's a lot of bells and whistles to add on there to support circles, to support teams, to enable that that decentralized kind of ways of working. 
So in because of the, the decentralization aspect, we're moving a lot of the back office stuff that would usually be done by a core team into the circles themselves. Uh, and given that, you know, a, a circle could be led by by people who are receiving the support, it could be led by by workers, um, it could be families, it, it, does, it doesn't really matter uh, as long as the, the, you know, the data protection side is all kind of is, is covered off. And so as a result, we think in terms of hats. Uh, so the platform is, is allowing um, people to wear different hats. What kind of funding challenges did Equal Care face and continue to deal with? How hard or easy has it been? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been it's been hard enough to make to make me question the decision to be a cooperative. The there is no investment journey for new co-ops unless you're buying a pub or setting up a wind farm. There is no there is there is nothing. Um, certainly in the UK, uh, I don't I don't know. I'd be very interested to find out about what the investment landscape is like in India for for cooperatives. But um, yeah, here. What I didn't realise when we were setting out to uh, change some of the structures in how social care worked was that we would also have to tackle some of the investment structures um, for new cooperatives uh, that were working to a sort of more of a startup type philosophy and who were building a, an intangible asset. So you know, no one wants to lend on the basis of intangible assets. Um, debt is also a terrible way to fund your startup anyway. Um, and I was, we were very lucky in that in the UK, there is a small market, but a market nonetheless for community shares. Um, so that was the route. And community shares are uh, withdrawable equity. So they are, in terms of how they act as a financial instrument, they are actually very much closer to debt than they are to equity because they don't change in value. Um, and there is a fixed interest rate that the cooperative commits to paying. Because they are on the equity side of the balance sheet, it does mean that the cooperative, so we have um, much greater control about how and when and whether that equity is then repaid. Um, and that then allows for flexibility. Speaking of the cooperatives landscape in India, Seva Cooperative Federation, one of the oldest and largest cooperative federations in the country, is also exploring what platform cooperatives can look like in consultation with its worker members. We spoke to Saloni Hiryadur of Seva Federation about what Seva's vision of a platform co-op is. Seva's model is that of organizing and mobilizing and creating solidarity networks of women. Whether this is the union, whether this is small groups of women uh, coming together in either cooperatives, uh, federations, uh, FBOs, other forms of you know uh, collective social enterprises. So, in the context of Seva Cooperative Federation, a platform cooperative is a woman-owned, woman-led uh, co-op which leverages the benefits offered by digital technologies to connect various stakeholders and the market in particular. Uh, the cooperative aspect or the solidarity aspect is fundamental. And then, of course, there is a value that technology brings. A part of this value is that these technologies offer a more efficient way of connecting uh, and therefore reduce certain access barriers that women in particular face. Uh, for example, a domestic 
domestic workers largely rely on community networks to find work right um, either you know in your neighborhood or through watchmen increasing uh, largely uh, but with platforms connecting customers to the market in a more direct fashion women who do not have access to such networks such as migrant workers for example will perhaps find it easier to find paid work so there is some amount of value uh, that technology brings uh, but our principal idea at seva cooperative federation is to use these enabling aspects of digital tools but rooted in the cooperative movement rooted in cooperative principles which allow not just access to the markets and therefore work and income security but also and importantly allows women to be decision makers uh in the running of such platforms in in you know in these spaces and this role is something that has been historically denied and it is continuing to be denied in the current platform uh, model so um, this is sort of the largest gap or the largest value both that we're seeking to fill through our work labornet is another india based social enterprise that has been doing extensive work on developing worker managed platforms for several functions uh to access work to help workers simulate gig work before joining a larger commercial platform and also to access various skills trainings we spoke to jalajakshi who leads the product and consulting division she spoke about the vision of labornet and what the platforms are for so we have developed a tech platform called sahi serve so what the uh, sahi serve does is it acts as a tool to connect the gig workers to the market so it gives them a first hand experience of using a digitized platform how to connect to customers and also gain the market experience uh, which eventually of course you know leads to uh, you know earning a better income for them uh, so once they have this experience then they can move on to a bigger gig platforms uh, and uh, you know uh, this uh, also this platform enables them to see their own performance Uh, so we have uh, integrated like customer rating and feedback so they can see their progress for themselves um it also gives them the experience of working in a formalized structure uh so as of today uh, you know we have onboarded over 2000 plus gig workers uh, in many um, you know uh, trades for example it could be sanitization and deep cleaning services plumbing beauty and wellness and even we have micro contractors uh, in the construction sectors and many more so uh, this uh, you know tool has given them exposure to mainstream business and also we have linked them to um, you know uh, we've provided like business linkages and uh, you know and things like um, how to increase the footfall of customers market expansion uh, so these are the aspects you know we have concentrated on the shiksha platform uh, so the right. shiksha platform is a online training it it's a, it's a hybrid uh, mode of training so uh, the platform has uh, some unique features so we have synchronous learning so synchronous learning means the trainees or the candidates participant log on into a virtual classroom and uh, take live classes so they can interact with the facilitator or the trainer uh and uh, you know they can see the presentations the videos and we can also have quizzes and things like that it's also important to note that there is great importance of collective data rights of workers 
in making such a platform cooperative sustain and become successful in any way as we now understand the ownership of this data and a say in how data is governed is crucial to obtaining power in the platform world emma saloni and jalajakshi all spoke about data and the power it holds speaking of the importance of making workers data available to workers themselves emma said at the moment uh i keep saying we're so, we're so small but you know we'll be bigger one day <laughs> hopefully by the end of this year um so the working under the data protection act uh in the uk and so working with this concept of, of privacy by design um so you as, as well as the permissions that are associated with the hats you also say right who can see my data and to be able to take your data with you when you leave um which the example of um the the issues that we have trying to get when we take up references for people trying to get their old agencies to share just their training certificates is bizarre like the, the agencies will tend to hold on to well no we trained you so we're not going to give you the evidence that you did that work uh so that's a kind of that's that's kind of an easy problem to solve really in that because it's like well obviously it's you know it's your data is it so you can export it you can take it elsewhere emma further spoke about how data can be used to tackle some very clear instances of racism and discrimination that are coming up in care work and platform based care work uh the demand for i quote white workers only end quote for example as we grow what i envisage the cooperative being able to do is something something that's and I'm, i'm calling res- restorative data um so obviously it's kind of hard to sort of come out and just accuse people of being really racist <laughs> okay. and usually you don't get a very good response when you do that so one of the ways as well as the supportive policies and processes and and still actually having those uncomfortable conversations when they need to be had not shying away from those but is using data to to represent back to people the kinds of choices that they're making through the platform so being able to cut it through through age through skin color through uh, nationality and going like okay this the and being able to show those kinds of biases in the sorts of choices that people make simply through having people join their teams etc etc uh and making that very visible back to people and i think that the moment that you start to at least put the choice in people's laps to go look this is happening and you've got a choice to do something about it um that feels like the first step and that's how data can can support us to help correct some of society's difficult to pin down but really damaging effects so that's one example of how we could use it jara jakshi from labornet emphasized on the very important point that data itself does not become a negative thing and can be used for worker well-being as long as it's used ethically you know having uh, data is a positive thing we think uh, because it it helps us to design you know informative and concrete models uh, like what i mean to say is uh, for example if i'm just giving an example if a food delivery chain company has say over 1000 women onboarded with them and we have this information available with us 
then we can uh, cross leverage uh, this data you know we can talk to some financial service providers and see if these women can get loans to to uh, you know to have a, a vehicle or can they get insurance you know for for their safety uh, you know uh, things like that so this cross leveraging can be done with the data often times what happens is though government has uh, you know um, gold mine of data uh, such uh, cross leveraging is not very forthcoming so uh, at the macro level there has to be framework uh, which you know is always um, uh, looking at the uh, well being of the workers or safeguarding their interests Uh, so data uh, though has positive connotation as i told it you know it can be used you know against them also so that safeguarding and uh, keeping their well being in mind uh, has to be done at a macro level and uh, create awareness among all of us that this is important saloni from seva broke down what it could mean for workers to have access to data and how they view data and privacy in the interactions that seva had with them she used a very insightful exchange that happened during the community workshops so first off the way at uh, the understanding or uh, of the power of data is not something that uh, informed women workers immediately uh, have access to and this forms an aspect of our capacity building as well uh, there is a huge and immense power that data holds and this is the power that platform uh, platforms are leveraging right and none of the benefits are reaching the workers uh, so we have to start there um that being said uh, when you do in one of our co-design sessions with domestic workers there was a question we asked on cctvs um we said you know when you work when you go to an employer's house we're seeing that they have cctvs installed in many of their rooms uh to keep an eye quote and quote on what the workers are doing uh, how do you feel about this do you feel safe do you feel uh, do you feel that your privacy is being um, undermined or how do you feel and this the, the response from pretty much all of the workers was something that i hadn't expected i'd expected them to say that you know this is a concern for us we don't like being recorded but what they said was that uh, domestic workers are often accused of theft they're often accused of uh, you know taking away uh, money taking away jewelry uh, but when you have cctv recording our every move we have a means to show that we haven't done it uh, we have a means to uh, we have tangible proof quote and quote that uh, that will help us build our case uh, and that will perhaps both reduce instances of these accusations um, and therefore keep our jobs or keep our work more secure the idea of owning this cctv footage or co-owning the cctv data was not something that the workers had even thought of um, so this is just an example of how they do see benefit in the way data can be used uh, but enabling them to think about ownership and safety and surveillance is still something that needs to be worked on now when it comes to building such platform cooperatives or alternative platform models um there is a lot to be said about the gendering of work how certain types of work on account of being feminized will not attract investment and higher wages while others will Emma spoke from her experience of the care work sector in the United Kingdom. 
I think a platform co-op is a feminist act. It's an anti-racist act. <laughs> it's a it's a way of stating into the world how we can create structures that give voice and power um, to the people who get marginalized and you know less so for like say a courier bike platform co-op but certainly for us that very much includes the people who receive the support as well uh the the care economy in the uk is completely fraught it's a real political hot potato um it's resulted in a huge number of arguments and inertia uh and it's also um they've just introduced a new tax um, to be able to fund social care. The fact that 75% of organisations providing social care um, in the UK is, are for profit is disgusting. Uh, I, I don't think that it's appropriate really for any organisation that has profit as its primary motive to be involved in um, this kind of work. Um, but there has to be a good investment model to go alongside it so that the non-profits are able to be well-funded and endorsed enough um, to, to compete on a level footing. The thing that we're trying to do, and so the care economy isn't just where the money is, the care economy happens in the transactions of, of every day. It happens in the tra transactions of family, of friends, of neighbours, of volunteers, of kindness, and of burnout uh, in the people who are being being lent on the most um and that often includes the person themselves who's receiving that support in the form of it comes in the form of guilt it comes in the form of management of of um of their own care it, it comes in the huge levels of stress um that caught up in being able to fund and resource care when you know those those decisions are, are being made for you what we would like to do is to without undermining it, which is, this is, this is hard, is to be able to represent and to bring in the informal care economy in a way that recognizes it and raises its status and allows value to accrue to it. Because it, it, it is a hidden market and it is also a, a, a piece of economic productivity that's not on any balance sheet anywhere. Saloni continued to contextualize this important issue in the Indian context, again emphasizing how the same gender divide that exists in the traditional labor market replicates itself in the digital economy. Uh, coming to the platform economy, there is still a huge divide among uh, how many women workers are able to access it, including, say, ownership of technologies, money to add to your phone, uh, and the capacity, importantly, to use these tools. So the women who have been able to use such platforms right now uh, are largely in urban areas uh, as service providers and younger women. Uh, and this, this is also because uh, these areas are usually where the market for these platforms are. Now, while hearing about the various platform cooperatives and collective ownership models is heartening, we can't ignore the fact that they're nowhere near being a real threat to the existing commercial platforms. And why is that? Well, some of the same principles of how monopolies thrive apply here. The way brick-and-mortar companies thrive on economies of scale to become more profitable, platform companies rely on that all-important network effect to become bigger. That is, the platform-based service gains more value 
when more people use it additionally now some of the established platforms have deep pockets which means that they can spend on heavy discounts and other market capture tactics this coupled with the overall hesitation of venture capitalists to fund collectively owned unconventionally structured platforms makes it difficult for these platforms in the current environment to th- to thrive with all of this reality check constantly present people who are working in this space of platform cooperatives are clear about their goal nobody immediately expects these platforms to replace big tech per se but the idea is for these alternatives to exist so that as and when the demand for these alternatives among consumers and workers builds up these models are present to absorb the demand at the same time of course the struggle to make the business and policy environment more favorable to alternative models also continues hearing in detail about these various alternative models of platform work that are coming up leaves us with a lot of food for thought for imagining a future of work that can look different from what platform companies and market analysts will have us believe with this we conclude our third episode of the podcast series platform predicament making sense of a datafied future of work we thank all of our experts for giving us their time and to you our listeners for staying with us thank you This podcast is brought to you by IT for Change and supported by Friedrich Ebert Stiftung.